Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berende, and today our guest is Emily Saldea. We are going to be discussing radical birth, a woman's warrior path. Let me tell you a little bit about Emily before we get started. Emily Saldea is the trailblazing leader and founder of Free Birth Society. She was a doula for over 10 years until the reality of her complicity with the obstetric system and the harms that it does to women and babies prompted her to find a better way. In aligning with free birth, Emily's dharmic path became clear. She quickly evolved into a radical birth keeper who serves women birthing outside the system. She founded Free Birth Society prior to the conscious conception of her first child and went on to give birth to her daughter freely on Maui, Hawaii. Emily's acclaimed podcast, the Free Birth Society podcast, quickly became a fan favorite and has reached millions of people. Emily's an inspiring and inspired coach with the ability to immediately hone in on the self-sabotage and mental blocks that keep women stuck in unproductive patterns. Her approach is warm, kind, ferocious, and transformational, giving her clients the spacious witnessing that allows them to step into their power. She lives in Colorado and frequently travels internationally as a speaker, coach, and leader. And we are delighted to have you with us on the show today. Mm, Thank you so much. I'm going to have to change that last line about traveling internationally. (laughs) Yeah, right. I was thinking I no longer do that. (laughs) Except for right now. Um, Because none of us are traveling. Um, So before we dive into our conversation today, we are going to go to a quick break. But I would love to hear before we do so, if you could share with us and our listeners uh, what your superpowers are. Yeah, when I think of superpowers, I think of um, kind of in the the context that I that I experience them as is my lane of genius, um, my innate gifts, uh, which I would say are playfulness, um, an inherent courage and confidence, um, networking. I have some serious business skills. <laughs> um, yeah, but just like my fire, I just have a, a just an innate fire of courage, confidence, and, and playfulness that, yeah, I would say are, are my innate superpowers. Awesome. Well, I am really looking forward to experiencing more of your fire in this conversation. Uh, we are going to go to a quick break. Before we do so, will you tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your work? Yeah, um, most everything can be found at freebirthsociety.com. And our courses are at freebirthsocietycourses.com. And our authentic midwifery program for traditional midwifery is at radicalbirthkeeperschool.com. Awesome. So we are talking with Emily Saldea today about radical birth, a women's warrior path. This is going to be such a good conversation and I'm so excited for it. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter. We now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. Okay. So I guess I just wanted to caveat this conversation for everyone because I really wanted to have you on the show primarily to say thank you to you for what you've created, Um, what you and Yolanda put together over at Free Birth Society allowed me, gave me the confidence, I should say, to have a free birth with my last daughter just recently. And so I really, I really just wanted to use this time to um, honor you 
for what you've created and to affirm for you, as I'm sure you've had it affirmed already by many, many women, um, how important it is, what, what you have done and what you are doing over there. And to just thank you for that. Mm. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, sometimes people can just assume it goes without saying, but I think it's really important to say the thank yous. Um, because I'm not, I'm not sure that I would have felt as confident as I did going into it. I'm not sure I would have made the same choice mm -hmm. um, if I didn't have your core stuff all back on. So, so before we dive in today, maybe we could start out by just sort of defining for everybody what free birth is. When we talk about free birth, we talk about the free birth society. Like, what exactly does that mean? Because I think I know when I first heard about it, like my, uh, uh, the idea that came to mind was like me by myself in a dark room with no one mm -hmm. else giving birth. <laughs> right? and, that's, and that's not, that's not what it is. Always. It can be, but yeah, that, that's be. not, yeah. that's not only what it is. Yeah. So free birth, simply put is uh, birth outside of, of the medical paradigm, you know, at home, woman centered, uh, Without it, it, it's birth in the absence of hired authorities, medical providers, um, and I would say including hired uh, doulas, you know anyone really. So it's it's mother centered, family centered. It, it's also known as unassisted birth. I personally don't use that term because it's actually a medical term uh, used for when birth happens without a medical provider, and and it needs to be marked as such on paperwork. So. I'm sure that that is more familiar to probably most of your listeners. Um, but, but I also don't like the term unassisted because there's so much assistance in birth. You know, there's the baby, there's our biology, there's the family and the loved ones around us. Um, there's our own resources. You know, there's so much support and assistance. So um, what's interesting about the definition of free birth is that often people now who are free birthing will hire doulas. And what I find interesting about that, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's totally beautiful, but actually what they're doing without realizing it, because midwifery has been so co-opted, what we're actually doing when we do that is we're hiring midwives. We're hiring women to play the role of the wise woman to love us through mm -hmm. our birth. And so this all is very kind of cyclical for me, and, and, and you see it throughout history, um, you know, when midwifery, midwifery exists, and then it becomes regulated. Uh, so then women stop using those midwives and ask, you know, their sisters and their aunties to come, and then those women become midwives. <laughs> so anyway, so free birth is, is birth outside the system. It's birth at home with your loved ones in the absence of, of any hired medical professionals. Now, I always like to say here as a disclaimer um, I've never met a free birther that was diehard, no matter what, staying home. Um, you know, this is this is socially uh, vilified as very irresponsible. So I just want to preface this conversation to anyone this is new for um, that that the hospital is a wonderful place for emergencies, and anyone who has access to a place that can care for emergencies, you know, is very is very lucky. So. Um, this is really a philosophy around returning to our biology, returning to our mammalian hormonal blueprint, and allowing it to unfold in an optimal environment, uh, which is at home, you know, surrounded by people who love and respect you. And so, um, yeah, I just like to kind of disclaimer that, but that doesn't mean that if, if somebody becomes a very, very rare statistic where they do need medical support in a birth. Um, of course, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know anyone who wouldn't be grateful to seek that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Cause I think we can often, I mean, there's so much polarization today, what we're seeing. Yeah. It's like, well, if you believe that, then, then I'm going to draw this box around you of what you also automatically so boring, believe, right? <laughs> and, and I think it's really important to to say that, I mean, I ended up at the hospital, right? I free birthed my baby completely on my own with my husband. And then, you know, we went to the hospital for the placenta and I'm so grateful for those emergency services. And that was the appropriate use of them um, for me and for us in that, in that way. And, and I have immense gratitude that 
that system exists, that I had access to it. Um, and I think, you know, we can become so identified with our profession and, and our beliefs and what we choose in our life that when somebody makes a choice that's different than our beliefs, we, we find it like threatening to our very identity and existence. Which I actually would think flags your own insecurity in your identity and existence. Because if, if yeah. we are truly embodied in our values um, and in our, yeah, if we're truly embodied, uh, we don't see each other as threatening. We don't see differences as threatening. So, um, right, they're to be celebrated and invited and, and to get cute. Yeah, it all gets to be all. here. Yeah. yeah. And also, I want to say that with the hospital, you know, with any of this, again, just kind of another thing to preface similar to what you just said, that it is not up for anyone else but you, the woman, to decide when the hospital is an appropriate place for you. So I just want to say that, you know, at the beginning that if um, this isn't about right or wrong, this isn't about um, a hierarchy of, of decision makings. I mean, although I would absolutely, uh, you know, argue that, that every, you know, different paths have different consequences, absolutely. And every path comes with its own inherent risks. But the bottom line is that it is, it is, it is my belief and, and what I want to see in the world is that women are fully capable of uh, calculating their own risks and making their own decisions. Imagine that. So, so yeah, so free birth, you know, free birth is kind of a, it's really an extension of, of my feminism, my work in the world and being a part of, you know, co-creating a solution and a revolution that I really want to see and that I want to be a part of. So free birth is an expression of autonomy. It is one way to do that. Um, there's lots of ways to do that. So, this is a very, it can be, like you said, a very polarizing, very triggering topic. So, so you know, let's just kind of frame it as, um, you know, this, this for me is about uh, creating support, opportunity, and education, uh, and normalizing the wide range of choices that there are here. Um, and I want to see a world where women are not vilified for exercising their autonomy, their maternal instincts. Um, and, and making the choice to return to normal, undisrupted mammalian birth. So, Yes. And also with that said, um, I think it's important for our listeners to know that like, just because, you know, this is the choice that I made, that Emily made, that a lot of women have made, doesn't mean that um, it is the right choice for everyone. Um, I absolutely, in, at this point in my journey and what I've come to understand about the way belief works, um, if your belief in your deepest of hearts is that you will be safest in a hospital, then that actually is the proper place for you to birth um, because that belief will end up manifesting itself some in some way or another. Um, I would actually, I would actually challenge that because we're talking about a system that is inherently abusive. So many women, I mean, by the thousands, by the millions, believe that, but it's rooted in a lie because it's not actually factually true, and it's rooted in the misogyny that our bodies are broken and that we need white men to save us, and so on. So believing that you're safe because that's what we've been socialized to believe, but then going there and being violated, abused, lied to, coerced, and manipulated, and emerging, kind of doubling down on the narrative that you're broken and you needed to be saved, you know, because that's what we're seeing. And that's, <clears throat> that's what's been going on for a couple of generations now. So I get the point of, of that, but this gets really complex when we're actually talking about an oppressive system. You're you know absolutely I mean? right. And I thank you for, for challenging that and for, for bringing that forward because, um, because where do our beliefs come from is a really important place to start. And you're right. Like where, where did we buy into this idea that we are safest? Um, and I know way too many safe? women. Yeah. And I know way too many women who believed that they'd be safe at the hospital and they weren't at all. You know, and, and then this also opens up like, what is safety? What is risk? You know, th these concepts really need to be looked at and kind of digested and untangled in order to even actually have this conversation because safety doesn't exist, 
right? Birth is definitely not safe. Birth is birth. <laughs> birth is birth is risky. You're at the edge. You're, it's yes. the portal. You know, it's it's not safe at all, and it's not any more safe in the hospital. Um, you know, and I would actually say, arguably, it's it's far more unsafe. However, it's very complex. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. And um, it's interesting. I, I started reading this book that a friend of mine just gave to me called Belonging. I'm not very far into it, but she's talking about the death mother um, in in this book and, and how we've kind of built a culture that, that unwittingly is serving um, this all-consuming kind of death culture. And it's fascinating because it's all from a place of trying to avoid death mm-hmm. at every at every possible turn, um, and yet in in this process we've created an entropic, um, fear based kind of dead system, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it, this is why I wanted to have this conversation and why I wanted to call it a woman's warrior path because I think that. You know, something that we are very bereft of culturally is a, a rite of passage, right? Traditional rites of passage are not something that we have inherent to our culture. And yet birth is that. It fundamentally, primarily birth is that for women, if it's allowed to be. Well, we have we have our human rites of passage. You know, let's let's just speak for females first. So being born. And then getting your first blood, um, perhaps you could say, you know, when you become sexual, um, having your own baby, uh, losing your blood and dying. So these are all rites of passage. Now, you know, Jane Hardwick Collins talks about this you know, better than I can, but, but in these blood mysteries, you know, in these, in these rites of passage, how they are treated and if they are held in reverence or not, which I hear, you know, your point is that they're absolutely not, which is totally accurate. That is going to teach us as females who and how to be in order to be accepted into said society. So the, the messaging to females around the world, you know, throughout their rites of passage is you are unimportant, right? Your blood is unimportant, you know, hide it, it's embarrassing, it's dirty, it's gross, plug it up, keep going. Um, you're unimportant. You are decentered in all of these, um, these rites of passage. But, but I think the point I'm, guess, I'm trying to make is that you actually don't get out of it. You still go through the rite of passage, whether it's awful or it's unacknowledged or it is held in reverence, you're still going through it and, and getting the messaging of who and how to be regardless of what happens. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I think it's just a, it's a, it's a matter of semantics, but yes, there are these, there are these moments that are absolutely marked. Um, and I think we do a horrible job of marking them in my mind. When I think of rites of passage, I think of something that's like witnessed by your community. That's, Mm -hmm. that is treated as such that, that you, um, you're forged by, um, intentionally um because i have participated in in more traditional um rites of passage ceremonies and um so in my mind when i speak those words that's what comes to mind and and that's that's what i'm not seeing mm-hmm. and and yet that to me is um in birth especially um and yes our first blood i mean I talk with my daughter about this a lot and I was so grateful that she got to actually witness a, a stepping out ceremony of a young woman last year who got her first moon time and was celebrated by the community in that way. And um, by one of our traditional grandmothers that we work with. And my daughter got to see that and got to say like, when I get my first moon time, can I have this too? You know? And it was just like, yay. Yes. Like more of this. Yes. And I think there's something unique about birth in that, um, Well, actually, I don't know if that's true. I was going to say that it doesn't have to be witnessed in order to be that. And yet I'm, I'm going to retract that statement from my own mouth in this moment, because I think there is something so potent in being witnessed that makes it, it makes it that Mm -hmm. it's like, I see you, I see what you have gone through and I honor you 
for that. And that's what, that's what makes it so. Even if it's you witnessing yourself like that and, and, and making, taking that moment to honor and mark it for yourself and acknowledge it, um, that can be powerful. And yet to be witnessed in that, I think just, it makes it more real in, in, uh, in such a, such a deeper way. A hundred percent. And, and in the ways that we, you know, in our misogynistic culture where women are uh, isolated when they become mothers and there's no one to witness, there's no one to lift, there's no one to um, seal, you know, and, and, and really hold the, the spiritual experience of this rite of passage that this is the whole thing. Like this is the crux of it, you know, is that, that there are rites of passages happening throughout our lives and there are rituals but the rituals can either make or break the woman depending on the society. So our rituals are around isolation, decentering, you know, harming, separating mother baby. You know, there's so many rituals, shaming, um, you know, all of these things that, that, that we know, unfortunately, to be true globally under patriarchy. And um, these are rituals, but they're, they're, dark, you know, obviously, and they're not anything that you're, you know, the, the beautiful stuff that you're talking about that is, of course, what we want to see. Um, yeah, and it's a, it's a continuum, you know. Yeah, and I, and I love that you're calling it ritual, actually. I think calling it that, um, it's like it's all right there. It makes it so clear to call oh, it a ritual, yeah. to call what we're doing ritual. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, you know, Robbie Davis Floyd talks about this a lot. She's an anthropologist that focuses on uh, birth historically. And she, she talks about it so well with the technocratic, you know, model of care in the hospital, all of these rituals where you come into the hospital and they put you, you know, they de- dehumanize you throughout these rituals. So they put you in a hospital gown and in a wheelchair as if you're sick and you can't walk. And then they, you know, finger you with instruments in their hands and assess you and evaluate you and shame you. And, you know, they do all of these rituals. Then they hook you up to an IV as if you can't drink water. Water. And, you know, these rituals of treating you as if you're sick and broken. And then, you know, the ritual of the baby being born with the mother on her back and her legs splayed open and a bunch of strangers, you know, staring at her most sacred parts. And there's these rituals that happen in every birth, in, in industrial birth, that are that are very real. They are rituals. And I think it's actually very important, like, yeah, like we're saying, to think about them in those terms, um, because then you start to see the threads here and it's not just random. Yeah. And it's like, Oh wow. Like that's a really fucked up ritual. Like yeah, why would exactly. I participate in that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like I know a woman who her family's lineage of the last couple of generations, their menarche ritual when a girl comes into her blood is to, um, <sighs> it's so sad. It's basically to, ignore it. And, and so basically the story goes with like three or four generations of this woman I know, which is very common. I hear this because I run monarchy reclamation ceremonies. So I hear these stories quite a bit uh, where a girl, you know, the, the mother will see the blood, you know, in the underwear, in the, um, in the laundry, right? So the girl comes home from school one day and there's a box of pads on her pillow, period, done. That's it. There's no conversation. There's no, um, there's no sit down. There's certainly no celebration. And the one thing that might be said is, um, you be sure to wrap that up and keep it out of the kitchen trash. Okay. So this, when this was shared in a menarchy ceremony, I did, I did a couple months ago. Um, it was, that was how her mother came into her blood and her mother before her had come into her blood. And that is a ritual. You yeah. know, and that's handed down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just want to like take a moment and let that sink in for everyone who's listening to this right now. Um, I'm sure if you're listening, you're starting to sort of filter through like, wow, what, ha- what are the rituals um, that I was raised with um, in relationship to these things? And I think if we really start to, if, if we weren't given really beautiful rites of passage, there can be some grief that comes up around that. And so I just wanted to like, to speak to that. If, if that's coming up for you right now, um, that's, that, that would be very understandable and very normal. And it's, I think important to allow that grief through. Um, 
Because, I mean, a lot of women I know don't even don't even know their menarche story. You know, they can't even remember because it was so unimportant in their family, or, yeah. or there was trauma associated to it. And so, you know, if you are one of those women, I really want you to hear that it's never too late. You know, that you're still alive and you're in charge of your life, and so you can you can gather one other woman, you know, and play with this and ritual can absolutely be self-generated. You know, of course it is. And so that I find that to be very fun and very, um, yeah, there's such a reclamation in that to really sit with, doesn't matter how old you are. I've had, I've had 80 year old women in some of my monarchy reclamation ceremonies. It's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it, whether it's your blood or the first time that you had sex, you know, obviously for, for the vast majority of women, that's also not a positive experience. Um, there's, there's so many creative I mean, limitless ways to call in healthy um, ritual, you know, that is, that is sacred and, and it's never too late, you know, even if it is to kind of rewrite something from the past, it's all available. Yes. Yes. I co- agree completely. Um, so when we talk about like radical birth, um, I mean, I think people can absolutely hear and your bio even spoke to some of how you came to, to this process, but what, if you think back to the early days of it, like what, what was your process of realizing that the system that you were inside of was an abusive system and then stepping out of it? <sighs> well, I first want to say for anyone who's unfamiliar, you know, cause I just think this is so awesome and important that the etymology of radical is it means back to root, you know, so returning to the roots is, is, is really what we're talking about here. And I, I just like to kind of remind everyone of that because radical in this, in this day and age has, you know, we all know it has a flavor of, mm-hmm. you know, outside or rebellious or like, mm-hmm. you know, all, all these, whatever, whatever's coming to your mind as you're hearing that word. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring that in that it really, it just, it's returning to the roots. So, uh, for me, I, I mean, gosh, the first thing I thought of when you said that was I always hated school and, and I really, I was always just a very, yeah, free thinker and wanted my own independence and was very, um, just kind of, yeah, just wanted to like carve out my own space for who I was and who mm-hmm. I was figuring out myself to be my whole life and, um, kind of forced to go to Catholic school as a young you know, self-identifying witch was really uh, hard and taught me a lot. Um, and so in my early years, because I started all of this really, really young, uh, I, I left, I withdrew from high school at 16 and drove across country and moved to California. And and I uh, just kind of was ready to to do my thing. And I, <laughs> the story goes that I had $2,000 saved from working at Panera Bread with my boyfriend. And <laughs> I remember being like, what can't I do with $2,000? <laughs> so <laughs> like, much money. Yeah. It's so much money. <laughs> and I was just like, I am, I'm ready, man. And I was. And so, yeah, we drove out to LA and, and I don't know how I figured out getting an apartment because that's totally illegal, but I got an apartment somehow and uh, got a job as a waitress. And I started uh, taking, I took an infant massage certification course. So basically what what happened for me in high school was uh, a friend of mine was raped and I, that was kind of my first exposure to, um, you know, male, male violence. Mm. And um, that, that really, you know, struck me. And thankfully I, I was in a, in a wonderful, uh, relationship for, for many years in my high school years. So my, my exposure to sex was extremely positive and I really, really, I was really ready and I felt really safe and respected. And, um, it was with my best friend and, um, I grew up in a really sex positive household. So that obviously had a lot to do with it. And, and anyway, so I had, I'm having my experience and then, a, a, a you know, a girl that I, I knew and cared about, um, was uh, gang raped at a party. And so, um, yeah, so that really struck me. And so then I started thinking about it a lot and realizing I had pretty limited resources for this, especially living in a pretty, you know, Catholic doesn't talk about it kind of such like culture. And uh, so I started researching 
uh, female oppression. And I came across the book Half the Sky, which I highly recommend to mm-hmm. everybody. It, it would be very top of my list of, of my request for people to read. So I read this book, Half the Sky, which is about female oppression around the world. And it really, it really changed me. You know, I was a white privileged girl growing up in a white privileged environment um, that had had a relatively, you know, relatively healthy upbringing. And um, yeah, it really taught me a lot. It was a very fast learning curve. And, and I was like, okay, got it, got it. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the lines in the book that stuck with me forever was, um, if you are a white person living in North America, you have been born into a level of responsibility that you need to discharge. Mm-hmm. And I've been, you know, basically like figuring that out ever since. And so this happened all very young. I was 16. So uh, looking into infant massage, you know, I liked babies. I liked massage. So it was kind of just a pretty basic combination there. And then I found this training, but that quickly got me into, uh, I was volunteering uh, with infant hospice. So babies who are terminally ill. And I was so young. I feel like it would be harder for me now to navigate that arena, but there was something about it that, I mean, it was totally sad, of course, but it it wasn't hard for me to be in that space. And I really saw what I was bringing and it was so profound to watch parents um, in these highly medicalized environments get to spend time with their babies through infant massage. And Mm. anyway, so that was was a pretty amazing... um, again, kind of fast learning curve where I was like, oh, women are amazing. Mothers are amazing. The mother-baby dyad is amazing. And this is where everything happens. Like this is the crux of everything. So I just kind of started to spin on that. And I just really quickly kind of saw the formula that, that now, you know, it's a bit more mature and evolved, but it's the same formula, which is when a mother baby, you know, have a healthy attachment and the mother feels respected and seen and witnessed like we were just talking about. And um, then the baby's going to be a healthily attached child. And obviously healthily attached children are much more likely to grow up to be healthily attached adults. And we don't see a lot of that. Um, you know, when a, when a mother is resourced um, internally and externally, um, you know, what can happen in a mother-centered environment. So, I just kind of started to create this like dream in my heart of what would that be like? What would that be like? And, and the book, Half the Sky, it, one of the beautiful things it does, because it's, it's a very, you know, it's full of, whew, it's, yeah, it's pretty sick, sick yeah. information of, of what's happening around the world globally. But in each chapter, as they kind of break down and, and deconstruct these different uh, issues, they also will follow a success story of when a girl is given a chance. And when a girl is given education and when she's given startup money for a business or when she's, um, you know, when she's given a fistula surgery so that she can, um, you know, pee and poop without um, making a mess, you know, so that her family accepts her again. And, you know, these like really basic stuff that in North America, we don't really have to think about some of this stuff, um, at least the privileged people in North America. So um, kind of getting, yeah, to the brass tacks of how, of how how we can't really afford not to center women and and girls. And when we do center women and girls, it's bigger than what we see with boys and men. And this is nothing against boys and men, but what we see around the world when we center girls and, and, and women and mothers is that entire communities thrive. And that that's important. That's a big deal. So, so anyway, you guys can go read the book and, and learn more and they have a documentary on it as well. But I just, I felt like I had found the Holy Grail basically. I felt like I was, I found the answer and I still feel that way. <laughs> I think centering women and girls and mothers is the answer to creating um, a healed world. And we see it in small microclimates. So I'm, I'm I, you know, the system is, <laughs> back to your actual question, the, the, the system, <sighs> you know, it's a patriarchal misogynistic system that was built on, on the torture you know, an abuse of, of women and babies. So the more I've come to really understand that and really research the history of obstetrics and, 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 bec- and really come to understand feminism and misogyny and how this is all playing out, um, birth is such a critical part of this because birth is a marker in a woman's life that will make or break you. And, and, and that's just that. Right. And so, and and so, yeah, I mean, to, to, 
I tried to be a part of the system for years, uh, naively believing in reform. And I did that for over 10 years. And and then finally, I just seen hundreds of women be raped and, and violated and, and tortured. And I do not say those words lightly for anyone who is unfamiliar with what goes on in the hospital. Um, I, I, I mean that very, very seriously. Um, and so after- clarify what you say when, you, when you're talking about rape, though, because I think, you know, uh, most yeah. people, when they hear that word, there's an image mm-hmm. of, you know, physical violence involving penis and vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, so rape. So yeah. So the FBI's definition, let's just go with that is, uh, any instruments or body parts being inserted into any orifice on a body without consent. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. uh, when I say rape in, in obstetrics, what that looks like, or what that can look like, and this is going to be graphic. So be warned. Um, for example, one time uh, a woman wanted to fire her doctor. Um, he was a real asshole. And uh, her husband was out of town. The baby came a little bit early. Anyway, so she is she tries to fire him, and he is actually the head of OB at a hospital in LA. And uh, she wound up getting an epidural and going to sleep. And I went to sleep on the couch next to her. And she was awoken with him violently inside of her with his hand. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, he said, and this was after she said, you're not my doctor. Give me the doctor on call. And it wasn't honored. Um, he woke her up with a violent air quotes exam. Um, I've seen women be punished with instruments when they have birthed at home and come in for assistance afterwards or when there's been accidental births at home where they truly didn't mean to and the baby just came so fast. I've seen doctors um, use instruments um, to, yeah, really, I mean, I don't know how graphic we need to be here, to really, to really, really harm women. Um, I've seen women be held down by entire staffs while they are raped while they have instruments and hands put inside them while they're screaming no. I mean, this is, and I also really want to be clear here. This is not rare. Yeah. This is not like a, oh, whoa, that just sounds like one really messed up hospital somewhere. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is, this is normalized rape in industrial birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so basically I was tired of seeing that. I was, it took me kind of an embarrassing long time to wrap my head around what I was seeing because everyone was normalizing it around. Well, yeah, and I think it's, that's really important to name too, because, you know, I worked as a doula for years too. I studied to be a midwife and I think there is a lot that's just, that's just how it is. Oh, honey, you just suck it up and deal. Like when you go to the gynecologist, that's just how it is. Like there isn't a, we're not given a frame or a concept of what it could be or that it could be other than that. But think Um, about, and think about how it goes into everything. Like sex is going to hurt. The gynecologist mm -hmm. is going to hurt. You know, it's just how it is. Like this whole framing constantly of our whole lives. You know, that it's just kind of like this. Men are just going to yell at us on the street. They're just going to grab our asses in the club. Like, it's just how it is. We should mm-hmm. just, we just need to watch our backs when we go to our car at night. It's just how it is. This acceptance of the male violence, you know, that, that we live, you know, that we swim in. Um, well, and it's not just male violence. I mean, I've seen and I've experienced female practitioners. I think it's, it's about a power dynamic. It's, it's, oh, I'm not saying women don't totally participate in this, but it is male violence that has created this society in which women are also being violent. It is yeah. patriarchy as a as a structure, you know, that that women are trained in these same models. Absolutely. Yeah. But women aren't women aren't out there raping everybody. Women aren't out there murdering everybody. So yes, there are absolutely horrifically abusive female obstetricians, but they were trained under the male violent model. Absolutely. Um, So what does birth without violence look like? For people who are listening, who are like horrified right now, like, oh my God, like, let's like, let's paint that picture because, and I think you do it so beautifully over at Free Birth Society. And I do want to encourage our listeners to go and I, I will. I will tell you something. I don't listen to podcasts because um, I just not because I ha- I'm like a, above that or anything. I just don't. I don't like have the space and in, in, in time in my in my day to day. 
it's kind of embarrassing actually because I've been running a podcast for two years and I don't listen to podcasts. I don't I don't listen to them either. <laughs> and yours is like the only podcast that I have really listened to because when I was prepping for for my birth, like it was those stories are so rare and so hard to find that I mm-hmm. needed I needed them. Exactly. Um, it was yeah, like we do need them. it was like air for me. So mm-hmm. and it, if we don't have them, we lose them. You know, and in this kind of PC world where, you know, everything is birth, everything is natural birth, C-section is natural birth. Like you can't say anything that's going to hurt anyone's feelings. We are rapidly losing birthing and power stories. So yeah, that's the whole premise of my podcast. And, and birth without violence is the same thing as what sex without violence looks like. You know, what is sex without violence? It means that there's respect, there's consent, there's, there's autonomy, there's support, there is witnessing, there is, you know, equality, there's no hierarchy, you know, all, all sorts of kind of obvious stuff. Hopefully you're having um, nonviolent sex um, and knowing what that reference point means, you know, for everybody listening. So, so birth without violence is, I would say, kind of follows the same principles. Um, it is a woman-centered, mother-centered uh, experience that that happens at home. There is no hierarchy above her. I think that's an incredibly important piece here, which we can, yes. yeah, we can get into licensed midwifery if if you want, because that's that's an interesting topic. But um, I, I mean, I do. I think that this concept of hierarchy is actually extremely important. I do want to talk about it a little bit because I think this is the defining factor. And this is what people have such a hard time with. This is where the reaction comes, right? Because, you know, you have to have someone who's trained more than you are, but like you didn't have to be trained. Your body did not have to be trained to get pregnant, right? There was no training involved to get pregnant. Why would there have to be training involved to have a baby? But but see, that logic doesn't work on people who have an unconscious commitment to infantilizing women and seeing women as flawed machines that are producing a product in which the baby needs to be like saved from. And there's so that's all so deep in our culture. So, you know, everyone can relate to like, yeah, sex is easy. You don't have to be trained for that. But now we're talking about there's another person involved and, you know, this is dangerous. And, you know, everyone's bought into the the lie, you know, a couple of generations deep that birth is just a, a crazy emergency waiting to happen. And it's because of the white man in the, in the lab coat that, that, you know, women aren't dying in droves anymore and all of this total misogynistic, you know, bullshit. So um, th- there's so many layers here to address um, for, for like, for, for most people to be able to track with it because there's so many implicit, um, or sorry, the, the right word is ingrained, you know, deep, 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 deeply ingrained mm-hmm. beliefs that are unquestioned um, about women and about our bodies. So... Um, yeah, I mean, with with the yes, with with the hierarchy thing, you know, again, we, we have to take this back to to girls being young. Like, how are girls socialized? You know, they're socialized to be subordinate. They're socialized to be people pleasers. They're socialized to prioritize other people's feelings above theirs, um, their own needs and desires. And so we have a perfect storm, you know, happening in in girlhood where um, we're already set up for then what we see unfold in our mothering. So the the other thing I think we can't not mention is how um, most relationships are deeply patriarchal, meaning male-centered, male-led. So when a woman wants to do something outside of, of the kind of normal mainstream arrangement, there's a lot of inherent risk there socially, intellectually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to push the boundaries of the relationship. It's going to shift some of the dynamics of the relationship. And if the relationship isn't up for that, <laughs> then 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 a woman then there's a big there's a big decision to get made there. You know, I cannot tell you how many women, literally every single day, say I wanted a free birth, but my husband was too afraid. So there's so much in that sentence because yeah. the thing is, your husband being afraid not a problem. Of course he's afraid. Birth is scary. Yeah. It's not a problem. What you're actually saying is, my husband makes the decisions for me. I needed his permission and I didn't get it. And because I'm in an, in an agreement with my partner, 
you know, that, that I have to be in keeping with, you know, like because of whatever dynamic this reveals, I mean, it's such a litmus test of where, um, yeah, like where the, where the, uh, the lines and the boundaries get drawn between a couple. Um, anyway, okay. I'm, I'm going on a tangent there, but back to the hierarchy thing and how the, yeah, girlhood sets you up to look outside of yourself, you know, listen to authority, be subordinate, all of the stuff we already know. And then you get your first bleed. You start going to an, a gynecologist, you know, he's now the authority. Um, you're put on birth control. You know, you don't know anything about your cycle. You, um, be, you know, believe you need a pill to not get pregnant. You are scared, um, you know, through sex ed, you know, through the whole thing, right. There's like this whole very, 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 um, incredible recipe that's happening to a girl up until the time she becomes pregnant. So, and I have to bring this up because it's, it's incredibly unlikely that a woman who's gone through all of that unquestioned, unchallenged, that then gets pregnant is going to have some radical transformation in her pregnancy. It's not that likely. However, it is worth mentioning and it's sad, but what is likely at least from the lens, you know, from where I sit in the world. And I'd like to get to a place where this doesn't have to happen first. But what I see often is that once a woman goes through a traumatic birth, which is most women, mm-hmm. once a woman goes through, you know, the abuse of the system and emerges from that, now she's at a crossroads. Now, does she get even more um, deep with the system? Does she believe the lie that she's broken and the doctor saved her and she will keep returning for her unnecessary C-sections? That's one way to go. Or does she finally look at that, question it, critique it, you know, get the internal resources and and the power to say never again. And those are the women I work with. So, you know, I'd like to see a world where women don't have to first be traumatized in their, in, in their babies, you know, in birth to get to that point. But it's, it's a lifelong journey, right? And it's how we're raising our daughters because this stuff has to happen way earlier than pregnancy. Yeah. And I'm really, really glad that you are bringing that up because it's absolutely true. And, and I think that, I mean, I saw this when I was, um, when I was working as a doula and a a student midwife and, and part of why I actually transitioned into coaching, um, into the coaching world and the ministry world um, because I was like, okay, I I'm with these women for a few months and, and everything that is going to be impacting their birth experience got established way before. And, and there's, there's very little impact that I can actually have to shift what the outcome might be or, or support a, a different outcome for this woman because the, the what's what's been established has been established and ingrained um mm-hmm. so much earlier than than when she's finally coming to work with me and, and see me and then and then you add on everything you just said with women having no idea what goes down at the hospital and no idea about what birth is. So you've just got the perfect storm for not just for for shit to go down, but for it to, um, you know, be be normalized. And also because we're so isolated to go through your postpartum thinking that you were somehow special in your brokenness, in your emergency, in your abuse, um, you know, in your, you know, air quotes needed C-section, um, right? Because we don't have, and then you, and this is why, you know, oh my God, when women get together, which is, I wholeheartedly believe is the path to destroying patriarchy, <laughs> you know, is when women gather, magic happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I say it all the time because it's true. And it's, mm-hmm. it's actually very basic. It's very simple because when you get 12 women together and they all tell their birth stories and they all realize that it's actually, it doesn't make any sense that all 12 of them had C-sections and that they were the, they were the special one. All of a sudden they're like, oh damn, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we got to start thinking about this. And the courage it takes to critique this um, and to look at and feel the grief that perhaps you didn't need to go through what yeah. you just went through. That is so painful and it can be done and it is done best in a group of sisters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I mean, grief is, is one of the uh, emotional experiences that we really need to have other nervous systems to process through. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think that 
I mean, honestly, it's, I think part of why the narrative has been allowed to exist um, and perpetuate for so long is because so many women are afraid of that grief. They're terrified of feeling it and of facing it. And so it's just easier to think like that needed to happen. Of course. And, and, and to give us kind of um, like credit too. like, if there's no space to be witnessed, it's, it's like, okay, well, so what? Like, and then what? Okay. So yeah. What am I going to do with that? Right. What am I going to do with that? Because everyone around me is going, you have a healthy baby. I had a C-section too. You know, this is just like, this is blah, 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 you know? And so this is why we need radical spaces. This is why we need lighthouses. This is why we need women telling their birthing and power stories. Um, because it is the lighthouse that brings women back into freaking logic, into their bodies, into into our womanhood, into our birthright. You know this this insane distinction we have made as if we are not mammals, and that we're like yes, we're uniquely special in so many ways, but we birth the same as zebras. We really yeah. do. <laughs> like we have the same hormonal blueprint. And and I don't expect any woman to understand that because why would she? That is not what got taught to her. We have to go out and find this. And we it's 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 you know, I want to make it easier, right? Like that's why we have the course, that's why we I do everything I do. I want to make it easy to come across. I can't tell you how many women will email me and say from from all corners of the world and say I had no idea this was available. I found you through a freaking hashtag on Instagram and I just free birthed my, you know, V-back baby in front of my fireplace in Tanzania. You know, it's so cool. It's happening all over and it's what it, what a great time to um, you know, to be alive because the connection and the resources and, and the you know the, the the positive parts of a global community um, are really here. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, like Thank you for creating it and for, for creating that space and for creating the alternative. Um, I do want to go back to this conversation about hierarchy um, mm-hmm. because I think that it is, it is for me, one of the dynamics in the birthing space that has bled over into the midwifery community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is one of the most toxic um, dynamics at play um, when, and it's the opposite of sisterhood, right? There yeah. is no hierarchy in sisterhood, and yeah. so when we talk about or when we think about you know matriarchal communities, there is no hierarchy. There are councils, there are elders. You know, yes, there's there's everyone playing their roles, but there's no hierarchy. And so our our whole society, as we know it, is is based on hierarchy. And 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 obviously, you can look at the medical system, including midwifery, which is medicalized now and their medical providers, you know, it's synonymous now, unfortunately. So, so it's, it's, it's a lie that midwifery today is any different. It is, it is the hierarchical model of care. It is, um, another, um, another face of industrial birth and they are just playing out the same patriarchal dynamics um, that, that we see in the hospital. It, they're all, it's all the same anyway. So, you know, they're trained, you know, CNMs are obstetrical nurses, CPMs, you know, are, are not technically nurses, but they are medically trained. They're medical providers, they're licensed. Um, they follow a set of rules and regulations that is not, because of that, they're not able to pr- provide individual care and so individualized care. So what happens here that's so important to understand is that when, because midwifery has been co-opted and uh, almost entirely destroyed, right? Because now, so when it was wiped out, let's just stick with America for now, because that's where we are. So with, when, when, when the, you know, the white men came over from, you know, the, the physicians in, in um, England, they came over, the hospital started, they do the campaign against, you know, the dirty little witches who are doing at home births. And it's all a big, a big moneymaker to get, you know, birth into the hospitals. And so then they, they wipe out the midwives, you know, um, do a bunch of gross propaganda campaigns against them. You know, you guys should totally look it up. You can find it all online. It's fascinating. And so then they shift into not all states, but some states shift into regulating midwifery. So now what does that mean? That means that in order for a woman to be allowed to practice 
midwifery, she has to go to certain trainings. She has to pay for, for licensure. She has to, um, in some spaces, um, uh, answer to an obstetrical advisory board. She has to be approved by the medical system itself. So there's so many problems with this. Um, you know, I hope that that's really obvious because that is not midwifery. Midwifery has always been with and for women. It's a village-based model. It is non-hierarchical. Um, it is a village-based model of, of sisterly support. And it's also not compartmentalized to birth. You know, midwives traditionally, you know, the, the term is from womb to tomb. It, they are the medicine women of their village. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right? I think it's, I really want to make sure that, um, the, and I, and I, and I, and I hope it's clear. I think it's clear, but I just want to emphasize it again, that what we're talking about is, is the system that is regulating midwifery that is that is basically taking it away from what it traditionally was intended to be because i think there are so many really good-hearted women that go into it and their hearts are pure and they really they they come from a place of really wanting to help and of of wanting to serve that traditional sacred role and there are some really really wonderful women who are following the path of midwifery and because of the way it's set up, at least in this country, cannot fulfill the role that they originally set out with the intention to to fulfill, right? So then the part that I think is totally out of integrity is that these good-hearted women continue on with the path and they become a part of the oppressive, abusive model that women are trying to get out of. So now there's, they're pitting, you know, now we've pitted women against women, right? Which is one of the most genius strategies of patriarchy for, for any oppressed group to turn on their, their own group. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure pure hearted, whatever that means, but, but also there's so much uh, inherent misogyny in the way we approach women who are pregnant as if they need to be saved and helped. And so the medical midwifery model, which I, you know, witnessed and was a part of for a very long time, it's like I already said, it's just a replacement doctor. They come in, they take over, they assess, they do all the stuff. And it's still very much rooted in a distortion of who is responsible for what. Yes. Right. So there's no space in medical midwifery for a woman the pregnant woman herself to take full responsibility for her experience. She will have to give up some of her autonomy for her midwives licensure for her rules and regs. And so then our people pleaser comes out and it's like, well, we love this woman. We just paid this woman five grand. Of course, I'm going to just go ahead and get the third trimester labs, even though I don't really want them, but you know, she needs to have them on the books because if I do transfer and she doesn't have them, she could get in trouble. You know, she could get her license taken away. So I'll just Mm -hmm. get that 20 week anatomy scan, even though I already learned that it does harm fetal tissue, but I don't want to upset my midwife because I've hired her to come be with me at my most intimate you know, time. So I can't afford to cause any conflict here. So I am going to be subordinate to her license as well because I'm invested in the relationship and I'm actually un- unknowingly invested in her being in charge of me. Yeah. Now, the, the, the real issue I take with this is not with the women who want that. The issue I take with this is when women don't want that dynamic and they don't know that's what they're opting into. That's what pisses me off. If a woman wants to hire a medical provider and have that person tell them what to do and just have the cognitive dissonance that someone else could somehow manage their body, whatever. I don't really care. That's not, those aren't the people that come into, you know, that that are coming to work with me, (laughs) you know, but, but it's the women who want to take responsibility and think that they're hiring a wise woman who's going to love them unconditionally through their birth. And then they're transferred at the last moment because the midwife got, you know, scared or she hit 42 weeks or any of the million reasons. Or 24 hours or. yeah, Yeah. That would cause her to abandon her. And there was no transparency in the relationship. That is so fucking unethical and leaves so many women stranded and back into the very system that they thought they were opting out of that is not okay yeah yeah that's exactly what happened to me with my first but um, yeah (laughs) so so yes um and and i hear you and i think that those of us who are drawn to um become birth workers 
really need to investigate our own shadow power dynamics because I think that 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 is, in at least in my experience, um, in my own journey, what can allow you to come from a good-hearted place of really feeling called into service in this way to serve women, right? Um, and and if if you go on that path and you do not deeply investigate your own shadow and your own desire for power over, um, then you are going to end up in this dynamic that Emily um, so sort of gruesomely outlined for us all here. You know, um, it's kind of inevitable because there are inherent in hierarchy power dynamics at play. And if that didn't happen to you, I really want you to know that you got lucky. That's it. That's all that happened. That means that your birth unfolded in a finite amount of time in the finite range of normal that is acceptable to obstetrical standards. Yeah. So um, obviously, I mean, there's way more to talk about and more than we can cover in, in the short amount of time that we have here. And again, um, you know, there's a wealth of information over at Free Birth Society. So do go and check it out. Um, I'm curious to know before, before, we, um, before we sign off here, what's one thing that you've discovered in this journey that you didn't expect stepping onto it? Hmm. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and this sounds ugh, so naive, but I was, yeah, I mean, it's true. I did not expect the backlash. I didn't expect the, the hate and the attacks and the death threats and, and the, the kind of, um, the way I would be projected onto, mm-hmm. I just didn't expect it. I, I've only, you know, I've, I've been a leader in, in communities for a long time, but it was always in person. And so now doing this virtually is really different. And there's so much, <laughs> there's, you know, there's just so much toxicity online, obviously. So to kind of be a face for this and have my public persona projected onto in all these different ways and, and receive a lot of that, you know, from mainstream articles saying I'm a baby murderer to um, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I definitely didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming. Um, and I think from that, you know, I, I guess it was my own na- naivete that 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 I just thought this was like so. <laughs> what's the right word here? Like. I was just like, I just want to do a podcast where women talk about their, their births, you know, like that, that they share their power stories. Um, and, and this, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that it's taken off the way it, way it has, but I think I didn't totally get how radical this was mm-hmm. for, because it's so basic, like women, oh my God, shocker, hold on to your pants. Women just making their own decisions, you know, like, <laughs> Like, that's it. That's what's happening here. Women are just exercising their human rights to do what they want. And, and the world freaking exploded. So I think that part has, has, I mean, I'm like caught up to it now, but that has been a, a pretty steep learning curve for me throughout the years of like, oh, right, this is a big deal because this actually reveals how deeply anti-woman our society is um, and how and how, you know, we don't see women as adult women capable of making their own adult humans capable of making their own decisions. So that's been pretty shocking. Yeah. So is there something, you know, taking into consideration everything we've discussed here today um, and everything that you just shared, is there something that you really want to make sure that our listeners hear before we sign off today? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I just want to say to the women listening that you, you know, I really, I really expect you to do your work, to, 
to show up into the world you're co-creating, you know, as you want to be. And that, because that's what we need and everyone, you know, gets to play their own roles and it's so important. But when we, when we all are on purpose in our own ways and our own like flavors, that's how things can sustainably change. So um, we recently launched an authentic midwifery school that I'm incredibly proud of. And it's, it's really more like a leadership school, a conscious leadership school um, for women through the lens of birth work and coaching um, that if you're interested in, in what I've talked about, um, it really is the culmination of everything that I have to give alongside my absolutely brilliant business partner, Yolanda Norse-Clark. Um, so, so that is an invitation to anyone um, to consider that if, if you're looking for a space of powerful, you know, badass women who are on purpose, who want to support you in discovering yours and actualizing it. Um, that is a real, a real hub to harness that. And, and beyond that, you know, that you, ha- you already just to consider, I guess, that you already have what you need to be on purpose and in integrity um, in, in showing up um, for and with your sisters, you know, so there's a lot of, it's all, you know, it all begins internally. Um, You know, how do we see women as our allies and not in comparison and competition? You know, it's really at the root of, of all of this shift because um, once we see women as our sisters and allyship, a lot of industries actually can no longer thrive. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. a pretty interesting aspect to this whole thing. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you're into what I'm talking about, you know, please consider joining our private community online, and and you know, joining us. We we really we really have an open door to women uh, discovering and exploring their radicality, and it's it's an exciting time to do it because we we are able to be a, a global community. That's right. Well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be with us here today. Um, it's yeah, been really pleasure. a pleasure to, to talk with you. And I know there's a lot of value that was offered here. So uh, if you need to go back and listen to it again, do so. If you know someone you need to share this episode with, do so. There's a lot of really valuable stuff in here. Um, and to our listeners, thank you so much for continuing to show up. If you have not yet gone and checked out the ways to play with us over at superpowerexperts.com, please do so. Um, and download the app so that the, uh, the podcast episodes that you want are very easily accessible at your fingertips. You can do that um, at any app store for Superpower Net app. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.